0: quick announcement we need your help to replace our terrible podcast logo we are hosting a contest for any and all listeners if you or maybe a friend colleague or student of yours are really into art and graphic design send us a square shaped potential podcast logo and you could win 200 bucks we'll be accepting submissions until friday march 5th you can submit them via email at idahoalumniboard at gmail.com Hey, just a heads up, in this episode, there's a brief mention of suicide. Um, By no means is it central to our episode today, but I figured it was something that uh, we should address before you proceed to go any further. You or anyone you know is struggling with uh, mental health issues, please know that they're not alone. The Idaho Suicide Prevention Hotline is 208-398-4357. Okay, now on for the theme song. to the Decisions Podcast, a joint production of the Teach for America Idaho staff and the Idaho Alumni Association. My name is Adam Shazel. I'm a 2017 Idaho Corps member and the manager of talent on TFA staff. We are here to bring you stories of decisions being made, personal and professional, in and out of classrooms by members of our Teach for America community, and also decision makers throughout Idaho. We're always looking for feedback. We want to hear your ideas about future episodes, potential guests, or any ideas to improve this platform and make it more relevant to your experience achieving educational equity for all kids in Idaho. You can reach out to us at IdahoAlumniBoard at gmail.com, or you can honestly just call me or text me or whatever. This is a pretty niche audience, and we all know each other pretty well. Becca Alamia likes to start things. She was a founding core member in Idaho back in 2015. She was one of the founding teachers at Future Public School in Garden City. And with her husband, Saul, she opened up definitely one of the greatest restaurants in the Treasure Valley. If you are still looking for Valentine's Day spots and haven't been there already, by the way, definitely head down to Amano in downtown Caldwell. And so when I was starting this podcast, I knew Becca would be one of the first people I would want to talk to. I wanted to talk to Becca for a lot of reasons. She's an Idaho native. She has first-hand knowledge, serving an underserved demographic in Idaho, and she has spent the past two years making a series of increasingly complex decisions. First, how to start a business, then to keep it afloat through the worst health and economic crises in living memory. Becca and Saul have a fascinating story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Here goes. All right. Becca Alamia, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing well. How about you, Adam? I am doing so good. Thank you for asking. Um, and so I, I think you bring a really unique experience to the table when it comes to Teach for America Idaho in like a million different ways. Um, yeah. Why was Teach for America the path for you? What, what really led you into uh, the organization?
1: Yeah, so it was a couple of things, um, you know, just to be completely honest, you know, I graduated with a Spanish degree and just a very practical approach was what am I going to do other than interpreting at the courthouse for the next 20 years? And so that was fine. But then I was kind of sitting back and, you know, as I was interpreting for a lot of people, um, one thing that I noticed is I was just communicating what was happening to them. Right. And then I kind of had this revelation that what would have happened 15 years beforehand or 10 years before, five years before. And a lot of things um, that I was interpreting, people had not, they just didn't know what was going on and felt like very confused and kind of like they needed an ally, but that wasn't my role. Um, And so then I just, you know, started doing research and just thinking about my own personal experiences in the education system, um, spoke with my husband who's Latino and about his um, experiences in the education system. And it just felt like there was a huge opportunity there to make an impact um, in the classroom at that point. That's kind of where I was at. And so I applied and I met with Tony, you know, at BSU. And he's like, I have this, like, this crazy idea, you know, we're, <laughs> I want to start Teach for America here, and I was like, I don't know what that is, but if I can be a teacher, that would be cool, so I jumped on board, and there turned out there was a region here, and, and I took the opportunity to, so, um, and it all worked out.
0: That's awesome. I Tony Ashton, our executive director, he can really, just big ideas, that's all yeah. he's full of. <laughs>
1: He has a lot of big ideas. you got to love that about him.
0: So I do kind of want to touch base on that a little bit, because I think the number one misconception about Idaho is that it is like very racially homogenous, like overwhelmingly white. Um, And what people don't really understand is that like we have a huge and like explosively growing uh, Latino population in Idaho. And so, you know, you taught in Homedale, was it Homedale Middle School or high school?
1: Homedale Middle School. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: gotcha. Um, What were the demographics like in your classroom?
1: Yeah, so in my classroom, it was a little bit um, disproportionate. Um, I had closer to um, 50-50, most other classrooms, and that's uh, white and Latino. Mm -hmm. And then in most other classrooms, it was more like 65-35. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: 65, white, 35, Latino? Yes. Okay.
1: Yep. Cool. And it was a little bit more just because I was the only um, person who spoke Spanish, so a lot of the migrant kiddos were based yeah. in my classroom.
0: Having, having that Spanish language ability, what was the impact that you were able to create where you know a teacher who doesn't have Spanish-speaking capabilities maybe wouldn't have been able to do?
1: Yeah, I felt very fortunate because it it really allowed me the opportunity to connect with a lot of families that had previously, you know, just felt really isolated in the school system. And so I did home visits for all of my kiddos before school started. And, you know, a lot of Latino families told me, you know, Mrs. Alamia, you're the first person who's ever talked to us. We, you know, we just didn't know people thought that we were important, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that to me was like pretty profound that I was not like a first grade teacher. I was a fifth grade teacher. So that means they had six years in the school system um, where they didn't feel like uh, their voice mattered. And so that kind of has always stuck with me Is you know, how, you know, how I set up my classroom, how we, you know, had our policies, how I interacted with parents and how information got sent out and just making sure that uh, what I was doing was equitable and, and all families had the opportunity to engage and have the ability to know what was going on with their child um, in my classroom. So.
0: So what was it like? I imagine, you know, being a first year teacher is insane. Like we've all done that process. Um, being in the founding core in Teach for America Idaho must have also been insane. Um, and then you were you were doing it while juggling a couple of kids. And so how were you able to kind of navigate just that, like, maelstrom of just craziness, I guess?
1: Yeah, I mean, just in total honesty, I don't think I did it well. <laughs> <laughs> I think I always bite off more than I can chew. But... Um, It's a very common
0: TFA thing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. One example of where I maybe did that. Um, Yeah. So my first year I had a three-year-old and um, was and I don't know if they still do this now, but we did do our master's classes the first semester Mm -hmm. um, that you're also teaching. So I was going from Homedale to Boise state because there were no online options. So you know, that drive is an hour in itself. Um, just uh, attending classes, doing your first year um, and then trying to be a mom and a wife. And it was definitely a lot. It can be done, um, but definitely it was something where I had to kind of reflect and say like, what, I can't do it all. I'm trying yeah. to do it all. So what it, what are going to be the things that I can do and focus on that's going to give like the most impact for kiddos, um, to allow me a little bit more time with my own kids. So, um, I definitely had to, to figure that out. And once I did that, it, I definitely felt like I had better results in the classroom. Um, just as far as academically for kiddos. And so, yeah, you learn and you grow, you know, you you get better as the years go on. But I did, again, bite off more than I can chew. And I was pregnant with my second child, <laughs> my second year. So that oh was gosh. an adventure as well. So, you know, it just, that's life. So
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, did you, you live in Homedale, right?
1: I actually live in Nampa. So it's oh, still gotcha. like about a 45 minute drive yeah. there every day. And um, but my uh, husband's family has lived in Homedale for about almost 20 years now. So, oh my gosh, wow. and my mother in law uh, was the custodian um, at the elementary school, and my husband's um, cousin was my classroom custodian at the middle yeah. school. So, wow. it was just a family affair, and um, I taught one of his uh, like second cousins uh, oh, in my man. class my first year so it was pretty fun
0: what do you think you get by being in the community you serve like not just commuting there Mm -hmm. but really like ingraining yourself Mm -hmm. or being ingrained in the community um that you're serving
1: you know i felt like i was kind of straddling the fence when i was uh in homedale kind of with that concept and so even though i you know was commuting there i do felt like i definitely became a part of the community because i had already been going to yeah. you know birthday parties there and you know being in the community for quite a while but what i realized was that was one half of the community and mm-hmm. there was another side that i was completely oblivious to um you know in my just being very naive thinking that you know Everyone was just friends and happy and loved each other. (laughs) um, Just in that, unfortunately, wasn't the case. Um, When I did enter, you know, my classroom, just some of the comments that were said, you know, within, uh, I think it was my second year, one of the students uh, that I had wrote on a piece of paper, um, the map of the United States of Mexico and put f- uh, flames in Mexico oh, wow. and wrote and then had little stick figures um, in the flames and said, you know, Trump's going to burn all of the Mexicans.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I was just so shocked. Right. Yeah. And, and I talked to him about that and I followed up uh, with his parents and they basically said, well, yeah, they should go back. Mm -hmm. and to me that's when I realized well we have (laughs) I'm sitting in here in my classroom trying to change some of these things but we have bigger problems beyond my classroom right Mm -hmm. so then it started to shift my thinking towards some of the bigger problems and structures that might be in play that that maybe might be worth spending time tackling yeah and so I guess going back back to that idea of actually living in the community that would have involved me putting my daughter in the same school system. Um, And that was something I really struggled with was, do we move there and make that a long-term thing? Or do I have my daughter growing up uh, denying her own identity? And that was something that I didn't think I could live with. Um, Mm -hmm. So ultimately we didn't move there.
0: What was that like, uh, teaching in like a very, um, polarizing presidential Mm -hmm. election? Uh, did you You really, like, you did mention like, you know, there are two communities in Homedale, mm uh, did that play into it at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that really, my, so that was my second year, um, and it was very tough, um, as you can imagine, because I was also pregnant, and all of the hormones, and <laughs> <laughs> so I was just shocked when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I remember I called um, one of my friends who who teaches in the Boise School District, um, Sylvia, and and I was like, I don't know what to tell my kids this morning. You know, when I go to school and she told me, you just have to show up. They're going to show up and you have to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And so we have our morning circle every morning and we all sat down together and some kids were like, yeah, Trump's our president. This is the best day ever. And so then we had our English message and that day we had a Spanish message. And (laughs) so then I told all of the kiddos in Spanish, you know, I said, you know, if any of you guys are afraid and need someone to talk to, um, are worried because of your parents' deaths or whatever, you know, you can come to me. I can help find resources, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and one of the kiddos came to me, you know, during break and was crying and they were scared. And I just, I just remembered, you just have to be there. And, You know, then during my lunch break, I was crying like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make it through this year? Because Mm -hmm. this is so outside of my control. You know, I can't fix the present. I can't fix these systems. I can't fix the attitudes of some of the parents who kids are ultimately learning some of these, um, you know, attitudes and behaviors from. So, you know, it was a tough year. But then I kind of let that fuel me into my third year where I you know, partnered with um, the person who was in charge of curriculum and instruction for the school district in the third year, I was able to pretty much create uh, a, a really inclusive curriculum um, for social studies and literature. And it really did pay off because I had one child who was white came to me at the end and was like, uh, Mrs. Alamia, I'm really glad you had us read these books because I think I was a racist. But <laughs> now I'm not and I just want to keep learning more. So thank you because I think I'm a better person. And at parent teacher conferences his mom was like he cannot stop reading about Native Americans and want to learn more and do all that. And I was like I am so glad. And so I was like education works, you know. And that's what I realized I wasn't crazy. This wasn't just some theory that you know curriculum really does impact uh, in education. Really, th- the next generation. We say that, we yeah. preach it, but I heard it from my yeah. <laughs> from my own ears, and that's when I realized, okay, this this theory is true. We yeah. do need to be thinking, you know, as a society on on how and what we're educating our children
0: with. Yeah. I, I remember just going through being a teacher and mm-hmm. like something that I decided to be important is just like get a win every day. And so I imagine to get a 10 year old to have a mea culpa like that, that is that is such a win. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <laughs> thank um, you. Cool. Thanks. That, that was a bit of a left turn. I wasn't expecting to go there, but thank you so much. So, okay, so you, you go from Homedale and then you become one of the founding teachers at Future Public School, one of the charters um, that, you know, just opened up in Garden City. Talked to Levi Grand, who's a teacher there, um, for our last podcast episode. And then you do like a total like 180, like a, I don't even know if it's a 180. It's like a, <laughs> it goes into a, a fourth dimension or something like that. And you're like, actually, I want to open up a restaurant. And so... I want you to walk me through that process. Like, like what did you, what, what were your inputs going into that decision? So
1: it was a big decision and it did feel like a fourth dimension for me as well. So <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone in that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately uh, my decision to leave um, Homedale and Goal to Future was a really tough decision for me actually. Mm-hmm. Um, as hard as it was kind of balancing kind of the two worlds, I did feel like I was suited for it just Mm -hmm. um, because I was from Idaho. I was white, but I was also um, a part of the Latino community through my husband's family. So I felt like I kind of naturally had like a strategic position to be able Mm -hmm. to kind of have change there. Um, So leaving that in going to future was particularly um uh, it was a, a decision I really struggled with um but ultimately I decided to go because I felt like as far as teaching skills I was kind of at a plateau you know I wanted to keep learning and improving and they, there weren't as many opportunities as I would hope. And I was going through RSLA and I thought, well, I'm going to finish RSLA part two in a year. And then what? (laughs) So um, I decided to go to future so that I could, you know, learn and grow, become, you know, a better teacher at the time. I thought maybe someday, you know, I'll have my own charter school. I'll kind of see what it's like, you know, to be on the founding team. So that someday if I am in that position, how can I support teachers or, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to boot, I love the mission and my daughter was entering kindergarten. So that was a big choice too, is where am I going to put my child in school? Yeah. So uh, I did, uh, join the team at future and it was a great experience. I did learn a lot. And then the fall of the year. So I was only working for about 2 months and then we, you know, my husband came to me and said I think it's time to start a restaurant. Wow. And I said, "Well, you've been saying it for about 8 years." Now. I was like, "Are you really going to start one or are you not?" And he was like, "No, I really feel like it's time." Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that still was kind of on my mind was just how I felt like in you know, Homedale, Awaiche County, Canyon County, there was just kind of this narrative of that the white families were essentially like the factory owners and the mm-hmm. the farm owners and the Latinos were the workers.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that and that was kind of what your achievement level was, right? If kids don't show up for school, they just get pushed into the secondary school. And we already have a, we already have a job for them. Then they get connected with their parents' work and that's it. Right. It was kind of like a school to factory pipeline, you could say. And I kept thinking, I wonder if, um, kiddos had somebody else to look up to, right. Who was the owner? Not, not just, you know, somebody who worked for, to have a connection with a parent, but to show like, Hey, whatever your dream is, you can become that too, just like all of these other people, right? So I thought, well, that might be really meaningful um, for kiddos to have like a mentor or somebody. um, And so I thought I'm going to support my husband and do this. He had helped me um, work two jobs while I became a teacher and was doing my master's degree when we had our child. And so I thought, well, he helped me to support me and what I wanted to do. So now it's time to, to turn around and support him. So I, you know, pretty quickly um, started reading a lot of books. (laughs) Because that's, as a teacher, all I know what to do is like, I'm going to read and I'm going to learn. So I read a lot of books really quickly on business, marketing, owning a restaurant.
0: (laughs) Do you watch like a lot of Gordon Ramsay or something like that?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you know, all the books like Wine Folly uh, basically taught myself how to be a sommelier for a quick second. Wow. I mean, all these, all these different things. Um, but then really, you know, kind of an agreement that we had was, you know, I thought I could still be a teacher. And once I realized there was literally no way that I could keep teaching and run this the way that it needed to be ran um, you know, we kind of had an agreement that the restaurant wouldn't be just a restaurant. It would kind of be used as a platform to help create good in the community and to help, um, just have a larger platform for policies, um, strategic planning, um, for Caldwell, for Idaho, um, so that, I also was kind of still getting to do what I wanted to do. And he's always supported me with that and has been my partner in pushing social issues. So it just felt like the right fit, I guess, for that. And to be able to have balance, to be home with my kids a little bit more.
0: So like really important context here. Uh, Your husband, uh, Saul, is amazing. Um, He was, I think it was, he was the head chef at Eureka, which is like an amazing restaurant in Boise for how long was that?
1: Um, he was there for three years. And then before mm-hmm. that, he was the executive chef at Whole Foods.
0: And so was was opening a restaurant like was that a long time dream of his or was that like more of a recent decision?
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely something he had been wanting to do. So he actually went to school for architecture. And actually, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, he decided that, that he was not going to be an architect. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to, he said, I'm I'm gonna start a restaurant someday. As you can imagine, you know, being seven months pregnant and having like <laughs> a you know a 180 career change was like, are you sure about this? <laughs> And he was very serious. And so one thing I know about him is when he's serious, he's going to get it done. And so I could see that look in his eyes and says, well, do what you need to do. And he's like, I'm going to go tomorrow and I'm going to apply it um, on the border for a dishwasher job. Wow. And on the border was like a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I support you, <laughs> whatever you want to do. So those vows are coming in right now and I'm going to support you. So um, he literally, we had one car. So he went on his bike and biked his way <laughs> 20 miles across town to go and apply at, um, on the border. And they're like, we only have a part-time job, but you could also clean the restaurant during the mornings. So he was like, I'll take it. So he would go there in the morning for two hours clean Bike back, then he would go in the evening. Bike there, clean dishes, and then bike back. And it was just crazy, Tion. But I, I was like, he is really dedicated to this. Nobody would do that unless they really, you know, had a goal. And then eventually, um, Whole Foods came into town, and he started off. He applied there, and he. Was on the team, you know, as just a, like a regular team member, and within three years he was executive chef. Wow. So he just worked his way up really quickly and um, just strategically took positions. And then finally, when he told me he was ready, I was like, "Yeah, I think you actually are ready at this time. So if you want to do it, then let's do it." So
0: my my jaw is like on the floor right now. Like I had I had no idea that that was the type of journey that the both of you went through.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey for sure. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so it's good. You know, that's one thing that I've learned is that I'm definitely like a planner, but sometimes,
0: you know, if it feels right, then just go for it. And so like, I'm, I'm sure in your research, you knew going in that like, Starting a new business, any new business, and then particularly a restaurant is like a hugely risky endeavor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you like took a, a job with a salary and benefits and you threw it out and you just went all in on this. Mm-hmm. And so what did you like, I don't know, what what did you need to know, like to feel comfortable in doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean it was a huge risk. And I remember, you know, even when I called Amanda to get from my notice, I was like, what am I doing right now? Is this yeah. the right place for me? Um, and I just, you know, thought it felt riskier to not go all in than to go all in, if that makes sense. Because if, you know, you've talked about like the cost benefit analysis, I thought, well, if I'm doing two things, I'm going to do neither of them. Well, right. So what is the risk of opening a business that you're kind of half-assing? That's a pretty big risk to me. That feels like, especially when you, you know, when we opened, we had close to 50 team members. So managing 50 people plus being open seven days a week. And there's just so much that's involved in, in the business and compliance for all these different things that I thought there's no way Sal can do it by himself Mm -hmm. so um I just thought well I I'm gonna have to be the one to do it (laughs) so um you know so I I decided that that was going to be you know the best way for us to actually have the least amount of um risk associated with opening it Mm -hmm. so we you know most Uh, restaurants go out within the first five years and you know I told my husband I said you know I know you cook great food but you better cook the best damn food (laughs) 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 and if you do we're gonna be okay and he was like well don't you trust me I was like of course I trust you (laughs) you know he he does he cooks really good food so
0: we're oh you cleared that bar easily (laughs) easily
1: Yeah, so it was, you know, I mean, yeah, so it ended up working out for us.
0: I remember, like, I I think I went to one of your, like, first, like, pre-opening preview nights. I don't know what you call them. Mm -hmm. How has the business changed since day one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure as you think about, you know, your progression of your first year teaching, you know, to your third or fourth year teaching, right, how vastly different that is. Um, especially if you think about your first day compared to, you know, five years later, it's just, you learn and grow. And, um, we kind of went into it. Our first day was just knowing it's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. So just, we just need to learn as much as possible and then just keep it moving. Right. Like, um, that was one thing I took with me from, you know, over at future, was the fail fast. was kind of the mantras. Okay. (laughs) We know we can't be perfect. (laughs) You know, there's so many variables here. So, you know, just learn, be a sponge, absorb what you can. And as soon as you learn that something's not working, new policy effective the next day, train everyone and move on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, pretty similar to the classroom, to be honest with you, Yeah. where yeah. you're not going to coach five different sports if your kids are all at the fifth percentile, right? Yeah.
0: So what I'm hearing is like, pick two, three processes, rapidly iterate, and just like, fail and learn, fail and learn, fail yep. and learn. Yep. Wow, it that does sound really similar to teaching. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it really is. I always joke around that teachers are like, Many CEOs, you know, because they're dealing with customers, they have products and all, you know, they have (laughs) outcomes they're supposed to have. And it's it's really no different.
0: I I think like any discussion about like being a business owner in 2020 has to address kind of the microscopic elephant in the room, right? So when COVID was becoming a big deal, uh, March of last year, take me back to that time and Like, what was going through your brain?
1: Well, I mean, one of the first things I told to was, I don't think a book exists on opening a business in the first year during a pandemic. (laughs) And so I was like, well, I can't research this. So it's just question marks all over my, in my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we had to just really think about, well, we're going to have to go back to our guiding principles essentially. Right. Um, and we, we definitely decided to go, okay, so what are, what are like three things that we need to do? Um, number one priority was keep our team members and our community safe. Um, then number two was keep our business afloat so that we all still have <laughs> jobs after this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the last one was just operate in a way that was authentic to ourself because it was similar to my experience in Homedale, was just kind of balancing these two worlds, right? It was no different in Caldwell. The, the climate is no different. So it was really tough for us. We, you know, you always, as a teacher go, there's gonna be these moments in history where you're gonna be called upon to you know, make a choice and see what side of history you're on, right? And we always say that. And then we kind of were sitting here and we just thought, is this that time for us? Mm -hmm. Where we're gonna be called to make these really difficult choices that may not um, like benefit us necessarily, but are just the right choice to Mm -hmm. be making. And that's, that's essentially what we decided to do, you know? So we were one of the first businesses that um, did decide to shut down Mm -hmm. um, just in the hope that we weren't promoting people going out to eat and to just stay home and to not congregate. Right. So we tried to do that. um, And then we were shut down for quite a bit of time, just doing to go And then eventually it came time where we're like, okay, we're keeping our community safe, but maybe our business might be in a tough spot. So we're going to need to open up and figure out how can we now keep people safe while um, operating, you know, in a way that's going to sustain all of the team members who we're employing right now so you know we you know did things like put up plexiglass require masks um social distance um we took out you know 40 percent of our tables and put them where guests couldn't see them so that they couldn't ask to be having larger parties or things like that so you know we made some strategic moves you know to ensure the safety of our team members and our guests um and that was really tough for us because there was it put our team members in a position to essentially be harassed every day. Um, As you can imagine people coming in and just saying like, don't you know, that's so stupid. We've been threatened to be sued. I don't know how many times people calling us on our phone number telling us we're not complying with the ADA because they have to wear a face mask to enter. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And then finally we just got to the point where we're like, whatever, just sue us. Here's our number, here's our address. send us the letter. (laughs) I look forward to talking with you more, you know, like, (laughs) like do like I told someone, I'm like, that's fine. Here's all my stuff. Great. And we, and then nobody actually ever falls through. Right. Because it's not Mm -hmm. a legal
0: claim. Yeah.
1: So I, I don't know. I feel fine with how we handled it. You know, I think there's always, you know, room for improvement, but I do think in the grand scheme of things, We could sleep at night knowing we did everything that we could within our power to keep the community safe, keep our team members safe um, and still keep while still keep employing people. You know, it was really tough because during the first shutdown, one of our team members husbands actually um, committed suicide.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: so then that was like so heavy on us just thinking, okay, is our shutdowns. The right thing we keep hearing about how it's you know it's really affecting people's mental health and then here it was right yeah so you know we from that point on we made a commitment like to our team members to not shut down if we didn't have to but we would operate in a way um so that everyone would still continue to be making the same income and also keep them safe at the same time so it was a really tough it was a a really tough time and I'm sure you can remember that kind of it was like a second civil rights movement you know kind of yep. got jump started also during that time and right. again we were asking ourselves what are we modeling for our kids? what are, are we acting on our values and our and our principles to stay silent? you know I do feel that um, business owners, schools have a responsibility to take a leadership role and make statements, um, that are help, help further our community, right. And our society yeah. and actions, um, that do so. So, you know, we decided to where we wanted to stand mm-hmm. and we, you know, are one of the only, if not the only businesses in Colorado.
0: You I know was that, gonna say, like, you're not like in you're not on 8th Street in Boise, you know.
1: No. <laughs> Actually, we started, you know, people started going online, like giving us one star reviews, saying, like, I cannot believe my time eating there. The food was fantastic, but this girl had a shirt on that said Black People Matter, and said that immigrants are welcome. I cannot believe that they would push such ideas in my face. If I'm being totally honest, my husband was an undocumented immigrant till he was 12 years old. So I was like, you don't have to eat his fantastic food, then you can <laughs> go someplace else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just something that we just decided we're gonna take a stand and, you know, we have the platform to do so. And hopefully other businesses will follow in the future knowing that, you know, we didn't go out of business Mm -hmm. Because we took a stand, right? In fact, it actually helped our business, to be honest with you. The people who are fit in our demographic were more willing to continuously support us just because they wanted a business that is, you know, helping with social issues
0: and the community, you know, stay, stick around. So like, just a takeaway I get from that is like, you know, I, I, I hate this pandemic. Everybody does, right? Yeah. Um, and because it just it, it polarizes people so immensely because there's no way anybody can get everything that they want right mm-hmm. like teachers want a safe working environment parents want their kids to get an education businesses want to stay open uh but they also want to keep their employees safe and and like the trade-offs are real and having you guys you know seeing you guys navigate that it just really eye-opening to me, at least.
1: Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. Um, it was very polarizing. You know, there were those polarizing decisions. And one thing we realized is that sometimes, you know, in life, whether, you know, you're a school leader, a teacher, whatever, you're going to be faced with not always, you know, a good decision and a bad decision. Sometimes there's a bad, two bad decisions and you have to decide
0: which one is worse, So being a small business owner in Idaho, I think you're in like a really unique position to, you know, kind of experience just like the mitigation strategies that the state has employed um, or not employed uh, over the past year. And so, you know, if we were to sum up Idaho's policies regarding COVID-19, I think charitably it would be like the closer to the ground you are, the more decision-making power you have. Yeah. And what's been your experience of that as a small business owner? Do you actually wish that you had less decision-making authority in that respect?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just wish there was uh, leadership in general. Um, You know, there's been a lot of scientific data that's been put out that is basically saying that what little pockets can't just do something, right? The vi- the virus still keeps spreading. It has to be like this collective effort. Um, so putting it on such hyper-local levels is s- extremely ineffective. Every single level from the national level to the state level, to the city level, to the city council level, um, I know we, worked with um we gathered about 50 different businesses in canyon county Mm -hmm. sent them to uh southwest district health um nothing happened we sent letters to the mayor mayor nankalas nothing happened um and every response was his uh, mayor nankalas was well we're gonna wait on southwest district health and it turns out that there's only one medical professional on the health board mm-hmm. for making health decisions. And it's just whoever is up, you know, to your local neighbor to be, who has no education or medical requirements to be making health policies. I had no idea about that until this all came about.
0: Yeah. Something that really surprised me, um, and I was in the classroom very recently. Yeah. Uh, so like Canyon County and Ada County, right? They're right next to each other, like yin and yang. They're in different public health districts. And so they have different criterias, these two counties, for what constitutes, in terms of community spread, green, yellow, and red. And so Canyon County's red is two and a half times worse than Ada County's red. And so, like, if you're trying to compare apples and oranges between, like, what different municipalities are doing, like, it's just, it's very tough. And yes. yeah, and, and, and these decisions are being made by largely elected county commissioners, exactly what you said, rather than, you know, medical experts. I got a couple more questions for you. Um, first thing I realized is that you really love starting things. Um... <laughs> I, I, maybe it's a coincidence. Yes. You at least have a lot of experience, right? You were a founding TFA core member in Idaho. You were a founding teacher at Future Public School. You started a business with your husband. Mm-hmm. What is it about like that startup iteration that you really like?
1: I started noticing this as well, Adam. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me that I noticed yeah. that. But yeah, I think I don't know. I think I like to be a part of creating something new, blazing a new trail. And I one thing that I noticed about um, being a business owner is that I can choose to create whatever I want, when mm-hmm. I want to. So if I want to create a new, you know, program selling, you know, T-shirts to fund books that the school districts wouldn't approve, um then I can do that and that's the way to go around it because when we started that program actually uh, none of the school districts responded back that they wanted any books wow so then we put it out to teachers <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're like
1: books <laughs> teachers got the books and we still have a list actually of like 15 more that we're just you know still selling stuff and as we get it in find another classroom um So that was, you know, one way around it. But then I realized there's so many loopholes, you know, as a business owner, I remember my first year of, of being a core member, we had this, you know, cocktail party Mm -hmm. and all of the people who were, you know, surrounded by the governor, you know, the governor's task force were all business owners. And I just thought to myself, what does a business owner know about being in the classroom? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, they're
0: there's and you're saying that as a business owner as a business and a owner. teacher <laughs>
1: yeah. and so there's so many different things and you know it just didn't seem right but then i always kept that little nugget of information with me so now as a business owner all of a sudden all of these doors just magically fly open right it's you know for i mean just as an example This week, I got invited to be on the strategic planning committee for the Caldwell School District. Wow. (laughs) Because I'm a business owner. Um, (laughs) And and so, me and uh, Dr. French, I'm going to be giving feedback for their plan, you know, for every once in a while. So, that's something that I noticed on the committee. There is one other teacher you know, I joined, you know, the Idaho business for education association Mm -hmm. because apparently, you know, businesses can help, uh, fund selective projects. Right. And so then I thought, well, if I get this, then, you know, I can actually shine light on maybe the real projects that should be being funded or maybe policies that should be being pushed for instead of like, you know, more Legos or whatever, you know? So Mm -hmm you know, that's cool and everything, but there's some big, there's big issues that need to be fixed here in Idaho. So that was just, yeah, I guess the way that we, I think about running the restaurant is essentially like, we're a non, we're a not a self-funded nonprofit, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, we, you know, we I don't think the tax
0: bureau would have some questions about that right <laughs> right
1: you know we have our money and we make it we pay all of our employees you have ourselves just you know small reasonable salary and it can donate the rest of the money nice so you know i don't think like everybody's answer is go out and start a business and then you can do all the things you want to do um <laughs> i just think that for me personally it's something that is working right now who knows if this is what I'm always going to be doing. But I do think that it has afforded me a lot of, um, maybe I guess you'd call like inside opportunities Mm -hmm. um, in access to some of the like policy decision-making that Mm -hmm. maybe as a teacher,
0: you don't necessarily get access to. Thanks for that, peeling the window back. That's amazing. Or peeling the curtain back. Um, last question. I think I'm going to try like this, like question that I ask everybody to sign off. Um, and it's just like, what's special about Idaho to you? What do you love about Idaho?
1: Yeah. What do I love about Idaho? You know, I, I feel like there's, what's great about Idaho is there's a lot of growth opportunities that maybe in other states could take longer to do just because of, um, just by sheer numbers. Um, but I do feel like there's there's a lot of opportunity here.
0: All right, that's it for now. Thank you to Becca Alamia for taking the time to speak with us today. I should note that Decisions is a product of the Idaho Alumni Association and that the views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Teach for America, either nationally or here in Idaho. If you have any questions, you can email us at idahoalumniboard at gmail.com. Theme song is Perpetual Mobile by the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Take care.